Life Audio. Welcome to the Real Refreshment Podcast. Join us as we dive into motherhood at the foot of the throne with your host, Rachel Carmen. If you are tired, overwhelmed, and feeling alone, this is the place for you. A place for real moms with real stories seeking real refreshment found only in the living God. Take a minute to visit rachelcarmen.com and join the community of Real Refreshment listeners who are taking the dare to be in the Word as a top priority in the journey of motherhood. All right, let's kick off this latest episode of the Real Refreshment Podcast. Here's your host, Rachel Carmen. Hello again, Mom. It's time for Session 4 in our series, Remember and Do Not Forget. Is it hard to spark meaningful conversations with your kids? Whether you're a homeschool hero, planning activities for the next family vacation, or simply gathering around the dinner table, we've got something that can help. Introducing the Daily Family Conversation Starter by best-selling author Katie Clemens. This remarkable book offers 365 imaginative ways to connect with your children in just five minutes each day with prompts like, who made you laugh today? Or what would you do if you had a tail? These simple questions open up a world of laughter, curiosity, and deeper connections. From dinner time to sleepy time, the Daily Family Conversation Starter is your key to creating memories that will last a lifetime. Don't wait to transform your family's daily routine into an adventure of discovery and fun. Grab your copy of The Daily Family Conversation Starter today, wherever books are sold. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Remember, we followed a pattern between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Old Testament. So in five sessions, we did... Remember, respond, remember, respond, remember. So there, this is structured very deliberately so that you can see going back and forth between the two Testaments and also between the idea of remember, but then also looking at how Jesus responded. So last time we had three sessions on Friday. Now it's Saturday and we're going to do two sessions today as we round this out and we're back to the New Testament. And actually, we're back to the book of Matthew. So at first, when the first time we looked at Jesus's response to temptation, remember after his baptism, he was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. And we looked at how Jesus responded to temptation because we know, again, according to Hebrews, that he was tempted in all ways that we're tempted. Mom, you and I are both tempted. The enemy wants to pick us off. 
And we can know that our Lord Jesus was also tempted, and yet he responded perfectly and calls us. That's a standard for us to respond because we have put God's word in our heart. Well, today, during this session, I want to look at how Jesus responded to being tested. Being tempted is not the same as being tested. Being tempted is something that the devil does to try to pick us off, to get us off of the straight and narrow way, to get us to sin, to distract us from truth, to plant seeds of doubt. That's what the enemy wants to do when he tempts us. He wants to entice us away from the light. Remember, we are called to walk in the light as he is in the light, according to 1 John. And the enemy wants to snatch us out of that light and get us to walk in darkness. So that's what it means to be tempted. And we need to be aware of not only our tempter, the devil prowls like a roaring lion, seeking whom he might devour. That is truth. So we need to be aware that we have an enemy and we need to be aware of those things to which we are tempted, those weaknesses that we have. So we need to do, we need to do both. We need to know that we have a tempter and we need to know the weaknesses that we have so that we can fortify our heart, mind, and soul against those things. But today we're going to look at what it's like to be tested. For us, when God allows testing in our lives, it's to grow us. Now we know that Jesus wasn't tested so that he could grow. He was already the son of God. He was completely all he needed to be, right? So this wasn't for his growth, but it is given in Holy Scripture as an example to us. So once again, we're in the book of Matthew chapter 22, but once again, it's important that we put this little passage of scripture in its context. So I want you to note, we're going to be in chapter 22, starting in verse 34, but I want to back up a couple of chapters so that you can see where we are in the narrative. Remember, in session two, we talked about Jesus after his baptism was led into the desert, the wilderness, to be tempted. And that marked the beginning of his ministry. Well, if we want to put this, our passage today, in context, we need to go over a couple of chapters to chapter 21. And you'll note that the nugget of scripture we're going to look at today is actually right at the end of his ministry. Jesus's earthly ministry lasted for about three years from the age of 30 to 33. So from the beginning of his ministry to the end of his ministry was about 30 years. And so the passage that we looked at in session two was at the beginning. It marked the beginning of his ministry. And today's passage is near the end because in chapter 21, we can see that this is after the triumphal entry. So Jesus has spent his time ministering across um, across the biblical world. And you need to get a map out and see where Capernaum is and Galilee and Jerusalem and all these places are where Jesus ministered. So he's been spending his time, but there came a time where the Bible says he set his face toward Jerusalem. He knew he had to go to Jerusalem because this is why he came. He came to what? to go to Jerusalem. And what did he have to do in Jerusalem? In Jerusalem, he would fulfill the prophecy that John the Baptist made. John the Baptist, remember, said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. 
This is why Jesus came to be the lamb of God. And dare I do it? This backs up to the Old Testament. Remember the institution of Passover, the last of the 10 plagues when the Passover lamb was slaughtered and the blood was put on the doorframe of the house so that the angel of death would pass over that house. This is the fulfillment. This is the climax of the story right here, right now. This is Jesus, the perfect lamb of God, having ministered, told many parables, worked amazing miracles. This is him. He has now come to Jerusalem to fulfill what he came to do. This is his moment. So when he comes in, and what we know is the triumphal entry, he comes in and what are they crying? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The crowds know and acknowledge him as he who comes in the name of the Lord. And what is Jesus' first stop in Jerusalem? His father's house. This is the second time in scripture that we are told that Jesus goes in and cleanses his father's house. What does that mean? It means that he goes in and he looks around and he is so discouraged and so disappointed to find that there are money changers and people selling things. They set up market to capitalize on his people coming in to offer sacrifice and praise and prayer. And Jesus is like, oh no, not on my watch. You have turned this into a marketplace and my father's house will be a house of prayer. And he takes and knocks over the money changers tables and scatters their money. And he drives them out with a whip in honor of his father. No, he says, my house will be a house. Oh, that we would return God's house to being what it was intended to be, a house of prayer and worship, of confession and sacrifice, of our hearts, our broken and contrite hearts, that we would focus on that when we enter into God's house. So after he made his entry, he cleanses his father's house. Then Jesus proceeds to tell several parables. And here we have the barren fig tree uh, parable told. His authority is challenged over and over and over. His authority is challenged. People, the leaders, the religious leaders are saying, by what authority? Who said you could do this? By what authority are you doing this? You can't do this. Who do you think you are? I am that I am. This was Jesus. This was God's son. This was the Messiah. That's the authority. The authority was given to him by his father. He tells a couple of other parables, the parable of the two sons, the parable of the landowners, the parable of the marriage feast. And then he's challenged by the Pharisees. And it says, and halfway down in chapter 22, I want to set this up really well for you. The Pharisees, it says, the Pharisees went and plotted together how they might trap him in what he said, okay? So you have to notice that previous to this, the prep, the, it says up at the end of chapter 21, it says the Pharisees heard his parables. They understood that he was speaking about them, and but they feared the people. Is it hard to spark meaningful conversations with your kids? Whether you're a homeschool hero, planning activities for the next family vacation, or simply gathering around the dinner table, we've got something that can help. 
Introducing the Daily Family Conversation Starter by best-selling author Katie Clemens. This remarkable book offers 365 imaginative ways to connect with your children in just five minutes each day with prompts like, who made you laugh today? Or what would you do if you had a tail? These simple questions open up a world of laughter, curiosity, and deeper connections. From dinner time to sleepy time, the Daily Family Conversation Starter is your key to creating memories that will last a lifetime. Don't wait to transform your family's daily routine into an adventure of discovery and fun. Grab your copy of the Daily Family Conversation Starter today, wherever books are sold. So the Pharisees, in a way, got that he was pronouncing judgment on them with some of these parables. But it also says that the people were astonished at what he said. So the Pharisees got that Jesus was condemning them, but they also got that the people were amazed at what Jesus was saying. And they, they didn't have a response. And so they resorted to plotting to try to trap it. And so that's where our context is today. We've got the, the Pharisees try to trap him by asking him a question about taxes. Should we pay taxes? And Jesus said, well, give me a coin. Whose image is on the coin? And they say, uh, Caesar. And he goes, okay, so give to Caesar what is Caesar and give to God what is God's. See, this comes back to the whole idea that we are image bearers of God. So Jesus is saying, give your money to Caesar, but give your heart, give your heart. That's what he's saying, right? And then the Sadducees come. So it's a one-two punch, right? All of them are ganging up. Look, these were religious sects at the time. The Pharisees, Sadducees, Herodians, lawyers, scribes, all of those, you'll read about them in the New Testament. These were sects of religious leadership that were developed during the 400 years of silence. So little quick history lesson. After the end of the Old Testament, the end, the last word from God, in the book of Malachi to the beginning of the New Testament, there's 400 years that. And this is when we get these religious sects. And they had developed during that period of time. And these are the ones that felt the most threatened by the coming of Messiah, by the person of Jesus Christ. And they didn't ordinarily really work together a whole lot. But we see them working together to try to trap Jesus in his own words. So then the Sadducees ask him a question and they say, so uh, Moses said that if a man having no children, his brother is the next of kin, shall he marry his wife and raise up children with his brother? And, and he's, Jesus is like, guys, you're like asking the wrong question. Jesus saw right through what they were asking over and over and over. He knew what they were doing. He could see their hearts. He knew their thoughts. He knew that they were trying to trap him. So the third question that he's asked is down in, in verse 34. And this is really where we want to drill down a little bit here. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, so Jesus had answered them and they had no retort because he answered them so wisely. And you need to go back and study that passage just before this one. But right here, one of the lawyers, it says, asked him a question testing him. So see, they were trying to trick Jesus. Do you see that? They were trying to trick Jesus. So the enemy, back in the temptation, had tried to tempt him 
to sin, to go against the truth of God's word. And here, this lawyer, a member of the Pharisees, was trying to to trap Jesus. Let's see how well that works. So he says, uh, teacher, which is the greatest commandment? Now, this piggybacks on what we studied in session three last time. We studied those 10 commandments, right? Those are the 10 commandments. That's God's standard, God's expectations for his people. Remember, to be holy for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. It is his invitation to live holy, to be different, to live worthy, to live above, right? Well, those 10 commandments had been expounded upon and became 613 laws that were held in very high esteem where they went to the nth degree to divine things like work. What did it mean to work on the Sabbath, right? And so they had taken 10 and expanded it into 613. So now they're asking Jesus, which one's the most important? 613. They're thinking 613. That's my bet. They're thinking 613. And Jesus doesn't even hesitate. He says, he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the greatest and foremost commandment. And the second is like, they didn't ask for what the second most important commandment was, but that's what he did. He went on to give them the greatest and the second greatest. Here's the second. And you shall, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments. Lay all the law and the prophets. Do you see what Jesus did? It was 10 when God gave it to Moses. They expounded it into 613. And then Jesus in one fail swoop reduces it to two, to just two. And there was a foreshadowing of this in our last session when we talked about the first four had to do with our relationship with God and the last six had to do with our relationship with our neighbor. Yes, yes, yes. This is it. This is exactly it. Do you see indeed that Jesus did not come to abolish the law, to do away with the 10 commandments, but to fulfill it? He didn't come to say, let's throw that out. It doesn't matter. It's Old Testament. He came to fulfill the Old Testament So now let's drill down on this a little bit more and see what it has to mean. If we're supposed to love the Lord, our God, with all of our heart, soul, and mind, what does that mean? All of our heart means with all of our attitude, with all of our will. It's the decision that we make. We make the willful, determined decision to love God above all else. To love God above all else, mom. Some of you have strong-willed children, you have strong hearts. And our objective, our goal is to bend those hearts, to, to let God work through us in the molding of those hearts so that those hearts are set on the things of God, those attitudes and those wills. I think that you would agree with me. We need more strong-willed people sold out for the cause of Christ, dedicated to God Almighty, walking in the spirit. We need that. Mom, if you've got one of those strong-willed children, I dare you to celebrate that child. And I dare you to do the hard work 
of allowing God to work through you as you mold them so that they can have a heart, a will, an attitude set with determination on the things of God. What does it mean to love the Lord with all of our soul? It means with all of our emotions, all of our feelings are wrapped up in who God is. Look, our feelings can lead us astray, but our devotion should be for the things of God. We're not supposed to be led by our feelings because feelings change. But our love and our devotion should be caught up in the things of God. We should be solely allowing our love to be something that we give to God and God alone and not allow our feelings to make our decisions, but that we rein them in and we control them such that God is honored and glorified. What does it mean to love the Lord your God with all of your mind? It means you set your mind on things above. Colossians 3, Paul writes, set your mind on things above. Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. We are to make sure we're focused with our mind. Again, the enemy wants to distract us. He wants to lead us astray. He wants us to think of hypotheticals. He wants to plant fear and doubt and despair and depression He wants to do that. And Jesus is continually calling us up, calling us up. One of the best ways I know to set our minds is to be women who spend time in God's word and spend time praising him. I, for a lot of years with seven kids, did a lot of laundry. And I'm just going to be honest with you. When I first had all seven kids, Laundry was not my favorite thing to do. And I mean, I'm speaking to someone out there, but I had a great mentor at the time that dared me to consider the possibility of choosing, choosing to enjoy doing laundry. And I, being a strong-willed person, took her up on that dare because I was fairly confident that if I put my mind to it, I could learn to like laundry. And you know what? I do. Doing the laundry, whether it's sorting or rotating or folding or even putting away, I love to do laundry. And that is nothing short of a miraculous change of my heart, mind, and soul. That's all that is. That's all that is. But one of the keys to me embracing doing laundry only, only to cleaning toilets, can I get an amen? was that I put my hymnal on my dryer and doing the thing that I liked to do the least while doing the thing that drew my mind, my soul, and my heart upward drew me to him. And I came to find that I loved singing his praises and folding the underwear and matching the socks and sorting the laundry of my family. We can set our hearts and minds on things above to the glory of God the Father. That's what it means to love him with our whole selves. What does it mean to love the Lord with all of your strength? It means with all of your energy, with all of your energy, with all of your being, that you are loving God, that you're putting your energy toward the things of God. And again, mom, We have an opportunity to serve our family with all of our energy in everything we do, whether it's folding laundry or cleaning toilets or making another meal or going to the grocery store, whether it is gardening, 
whether it's changing another diaper or nursing a child or getting up in the middle of the night, whatever it is, we can do it with the love of the Lord as we love our neighbors as ourselves. We love our children. We love our husbands. And as we do it, we honor God as we love our neighbor. For our visual aid for this, I love this. It's a red band. I don't know if you um, remember, used to the adage was that if you needed to remember something, you just tie a ring around your finger. And it's become kind of popular to put one of these bands around your wrist. And I thought that this would make a great visual aid for this because it's a sign of remembrance. Remember, we had the tassel earlier But this is a remembrance to love, the cords of love that bind us. We need to remember that Jesus was a fulfillment of the law, that the the blood of the lamb, the perfect lamb of God was spilled for you and for me. And we need to remember and do not forget what a precious price was paid for us. The love that was shown in God's gift of his only son on the cross. You know what? We can be who God has intended and planned for us to be when we dare to remember what he's done for us. Every day, in every way, remembering changes everything. When we remember what he's done and who he is, when we remember that he was tempted in all ways as we've been tempted, when we remember his expectations, when we remember to love him and to love others, it changes everything. The way we go about our day, the way we respond, it changes everything. I want to read this to you in closing this session. This is taken from one of my favorite books, The Valley of Vision. It's a prayer book from the Puritans, and this is actually Tuesday's morning prayer. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but just a portion. But this is what it means. Jesus was the culmination. The penalty of sin's payment on the cross was the culmination of the fulfillment of the law. And I love how it's said here in this prayer. We come to you in Jesus' name. Make mention of his righteousness only, not our righteousness. His righteousness, the perfect lamb of God. We plead his obedience, Philippians says, unto death. We plead his obedience and sufferings because death on the cross is cruel, very cruel, humiliating. Who, Jesus, who magnified the law both in its precepts, its standard, and its penalty, its price, and made it honorable. Made it honorable. When Jesus paid our sin debt, a debt that you and I could not pay, when he fulfilled the law, when the perfect lamb of God stretched out his arms at Calvary and paid our price and the gospel message was fulfilled, it was honorable. It was beautiful. It was indeed for God's glory and yours and mine. It was for our good. May we live worthy. May we remember and not Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you have a question or comment, we invite you to send it to info at rachelcarmen.com. And while you're at Rachel's website, check out her wonderful resources, including the Word in Motion Bible Curriculum. 
We want to take a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. Moms, more than ever, we really do need each other. We need to be challenged, and we need accountability in the Word. Thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you in the next episode of The Real Refreshment Podcast. Life Audio presents Bridges with Monica Schmelter. That we have an enduring hope that can't be taken away when we are in Christ. And to know that we have that, right? And eternal salvation, because this world can be so busy and so dark that we can forget that, right? Because right? sometimes I get caught in the trappings of what's going on in my life this moment. And while I have to recognize that, that's not it. Continue listening on lifeaudio.com or wherever you find your podcast.